and welcome to Addicted to Murder. This is Courtney, licensed professional counselor with over a decade of experience. And this is Trisha, and John Wayne Gacy really wanted to be a nabob. A nabob. A wealthy, powerful man. He sure did want that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And he was on his way to being that. It's true, yeah. yeah. His... Um, his business was fairly successful. Yeah, he. I mean, if what he's saying is true, he was making like over half a million a year, and that's a lot back then. Sure. I don't now. know that I believe that. True. But. It is JWG. And he likes to lie about everything. Mm-hmm. Or he believes it, but he, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Right. He does make up a lot of shit. If you, I do recommend that book. I mean, did you, did you like this book, Courtney? It was a different take. Yeah, I thought it. it was really interesting, and it was yeah. a good read. Yeah, so Buried Dreams Inside the Minds of the Serial Killer, um, because some of the shit that John Wayne Gacy like, claims to have done or said or told people to get them to go with him is just ridiculous. Yes. You fall for it, though. I mean, if you're confident, it's you true. know, you can convince people. And he was a politician. You know, he had charisma, all yeah. the things. I mean, that's... What con men do is they sell you confidence. Confidence men. Mm-hmm. Is that what the con stands for? Yeah. Oh. Really? Yeah. Like, I'm going to pull a con? I'm going to pull a confidence? Yeah. Oh. That's like sort of a letdown. <laughs> I didn't know that's what it stood for. Man, there's probably so many words that I don't like quite understand the whole meaning. Yeah. Anyhow. We are back with part four, final part. Thank you guys for staying with us through all four parts. I know sometimes it gets to be a little long, but with certain people, there's just a lot to go over. Right. And before we go over that, Courtney does have a question. I do. I thought this was kind of a fun one. So, hypothetically speaking, if you were in the witness protection program and you were allowed to choose your new name and where in the continental United States you were relocated, what would you choose? I'm going to pause. Okay, so where I'd want to live is Salem, Massachusetts, mm. or um, kind of anywhere in Maine. I love New England a okay. lot. And <laughs> this name just popped into my head, sort of. My new name would be Adriana Sebastian. Ooh. Mm. It sounds like a mermaid. Mmm. I my, like it. My middle name could be something, you know, like Jean. <laughs> something like super simple. Right. Anne. Mm. Lynn. Right. One of those. What about you? So I would be Colleen DeLandy. Mm. I would lean into my, like, Irish Welsh roots mm -hmm. a little and I think I'd want to go maybe to like one of the Carolinas okay I feel like it's down south it's down south but not all the way down south mm -hmm. um and I feel like they just have like really nice weather and nice coast and yeah I hear I've never been good there. things about you know the beach the what's the turt not what's the big beach Myrtle Myrtle Beach Myrtle Beach yeah yeah my cousin goes there and plays golf oh like with his company they go and go there i'm not sure if they go there to play golf or if there's like some other reason but he's mm. gone there a few times yeah and like everyone there is like golf carts interesting like the parking lots are full of golf carts i think it's myrtle beach anyways yeah that's a fun question yeah i thought it was have you been to a carolina i have not okay so but i do know i know someone who lives in north carolina mm -hmm. and they love it there yeah 
and are always posting lovely pictures. Do they listen to us? I don't know. Oh, well, shout out to you if you do. <laughs> and <laughs> yes. hi, Nicole. <laughs> hi, Nicole. Um, yeah. So, all right. Well, good question, Courtney. Always a fun one when you think harder than just Googling like I do. Quick I mean, questions. to be fair, I did Google that. Oh, you did? Okay. You had a better website than me. I have a website that's just like random question generator. And then you just click the button until it gives you a question that you like. Hey, so if there is anyone that's listening to us mm-hmm. that has a good question for us to ask each other, please <laughs> let us know at Addicted to M Podcast on Instagram. Yes. Or you can email us at addicted to murder podcast at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that would be cool if we had some like input because it's a struggle. And I don't want to quit doing it because it's like kind of a fun conversation starter and we learn about things with each other. It is. It's nice to talk about something that's not murder for yeah. like three to five minutes. And I'm also hoping that maybe the people that listen are also like, hmm, what would my, you know, preferred name be in a new state? I don't know if they do, but. Right. Anyways, well, on to the recap. Yes. So as we head into our final part for John Wayne Gacy, what we have learned so far about him is that he struggled as a kid. He was sick a lot. He experienced all sorts of abuse that was not great. He had trouble making friends. But then he learned how to kind of manipulate people into protecting him. Yeah, he was a master manipulator. He was. Yeah, that was. Mm-hmm. He would do it in high school, mm-hmm. and then he did it again in prison. Right. He got people to take care of him. Exactly. Because he claimed he couldn't take care of himself because of his health issues when they really found out there might not really have been health issues, and he was just like a, a big pussy. Yeah. Because he got beat up a lot. He did. And we don't go over it a, a ton, but there is more than one victim that got away from him that beat him up. Right. Well, he was. Deservedly so. Not the most fit man in the world. No. Um, But in spite of of all that, he did manage to get married and divorced twice, Mm -hmm. have two kids, be sent to prison for sexually assaulting several young boys, and then released early. And two years into a 10 year sentence. Yep. And then very shortly after that, he started on his long track towards becoming a serial killer. Mm hmm. So, John has murdered several young men by now, and he has had two divorces, is a, ugh, is a successful clown, businessman, and emerging politician. Anything else, Courtney? I mean, he sounds like most politicians I know. Sure. John claims not to remember too much about the boys he killed. There was one of his employees, Greg Godzik, that he murdered, followed by Daryl Sampson on April 6, 1976. Just over a month later, Gacy had two victims on the same day. They were Randall Ruffett and a 14-year-old named Samuel Stapleton. In June of that year, William Carroll was also a victim of John Wayne Gacy. On July 26, 1976, 18-year-old David Cram met John while he was hitchhiking. John offered him a job with his construction company during the car ride. David actually did go to work for John Gacy one evening, and the two were driving together to the job site. John was talking himself up, saying he had all these degrees in college and how he was good at figuring people out. And though, and then through that conversation, you know, he was bisexual. 
He changed the conversation again and said he was making half a million dollars a year from his job. They completed the job, and David actually continued to work to get for Gacy for several weeks. One day, while he was in John's garage, he found some wallets with IDs in them. He saw one of the IDs was for a person who looked similar to him. David was underage and asked John if he could have the ID so he could buy beer. John made some excuse and didn't let him have the ID, but he did give him a watch that turned out to have belonged to one of his victims. When John was officially living in his house alone, he offered David to be a roommate for dirt cheap. David couldn't pass it up and moved in. One night when he and John were both drunk, John got dressed up in his clown suit and did the handcuff trick on David. He and David got in a tussle and David was a good fighter. And it sounds like he high kicked that clown right in the face and got the cuffs off. Why he didn't move out right then, I don't know, but he didn't. He did wear jeans to bed because Gacy would wander into his room some nights ready to go. One night he tried to attack David again and again David fought back and won and he did move out that time. I'm just imagining this high kick to his clown nose face and going, take that fucker down. (laughs) It's definitely a little like laughable moment kind of thing. But Courtney, why do you think John kills some right away and others he develops a relationship with? David, he could have killed that first night he met, but he gave them a job and he moved in. So all of my thoughts are pure speculation, Um, but I have a couple of ideas. The first one is that maybe the young men he keeps around for a while are more physically fit, which means that they would be better employees for his construction company. Um, And also he would maybe need to build some rapport before trying to initiate some sort of sexual contact with one of these more well-built boys. Mm. Um, But then on the other hand, we know like pedophiles are good at identifying victims that they can manipulate. And so maybe there was something that Gacy sensed about the boys that he kept alive longer that told him he could maybe get more long-term, for lack of a better word, use out of them. Now, this, again, is just asking your opinion. Obviously, we don't know. But do you think in Gacy's case, and and maybe some other people we've covered case, that a, a challenge is something that they enjoy? If you're saying if what you're saying is true that you know some are harder to manipulate than others so it takes more time to you know tear down their walls and then get what they want do you think that part of Gacy enjoys that challenge just knowing what we do about him I think I think so he took a lot of pride in being like smarter than other Mm -hmm. people and like proving how much smarter he was Mm -hmm. so I think that could be a part of it for sure yeah John Rignall, who was 26 years old, had his own fateful night with John Wayne Gacy on March 21st, 1978. John was walking to a bar when John pulled up. Um, sorry, they had so many Johns. <laughs> John Rignall was walking to a bar when John Wayne Gacy pulled up in his big Oldsmobile and offered him a ride. And John Rignall accepted. Gacy offered him a joint during the drive. And then when he turned to accept, a wet cloth was placed over his mouth and nose and John Rignall went unconscious. He had been chloroformed by Gacy. When he woke up, he was still in the car, and he was very confused. Gacy put the rag over his face again, and again he passed out. When he awoke the next time, he was being carried. He got dosed again, and he passed out again. He awoke on a couch with pictures of clowns on the walls surrounding him. Gacy threatened him a bit, 
made himself a drink, and then chloroformed him again. This time when he awoke, he was naked, and he was in a pillory type of thing. Basically, his head and hands were bound in a board with holes, and this board was hanging from the ceiling. John thinks his feet were also bound. Gacy raped and tortured him and continued to put the chloroform rag over his face. When he awoke, he said that he thinks Gacy was behind him, raping him, but that there was someone else in the room in front of him. All he remembers was parted brown hair. He was put out by chloroform again. This time when he woke, he was in the snow. He was in snow at a park near where he'd been picked up. He was in a ton of pain and his face was burning. He reported the rape to the police and spent a week in a hospital be- to be treated for his facial burns, pain, and rectal bleeding. Unfortunately, the chloroform severely damaged his liver as well. John did not know who attacked him, never got a name, and didn't know where he was taken because he had been, you know, drugged so much. But he had a plan. John and his friends hung out near the spot where he was picked up and waited for the violator to come back. He did remember the car, and one night their patience paid off. They saw the car. They followed it all the way to John Wayne Gacy's house. They got the license plate number two. So John gave that info to the police and to his lawyer. John claims that when he spoke to the police, they asked him if he was gay. He was honest and said he was. After that, it seems like they could care less about the case. They finally showed him Gacy's previous mugshot, which he positively identified as who assaulted him. Quote, when I started getting into the physical aspect of what the man had done to me, they began to make me believe I was the crazy one, that he was, quote, unquote, a model citizen. The state's attorney of the police station refused to charge John Wayne Gacy with a felony. Courtney, what the fuck? I mean, seriously. Again, we have to remember that this was the 1970s. Being gay was not accepted in society. And often sexual assaults, just in general, were not taken seriously by the police, no matter who was reporting them. So a gay man reporting a sexual assault by another man would likely just be written off as the lowest of all priorities. Um, You know, it's obviously disgusting and horrible, but I think at the time a lot of even police had the same view as what Gacy expressed, which is that, you know, gay men got what they deserved. Mm Mm-hmm. That poor guy. I mean, he. I mean, he survived, right? But with like so much, trauma. so much damage and so much trauma. Yeah. All in all, John Wayne Gacy killed thirty-three boys and young men that we know of. He would bury twenty-six of them under his home. His last known victim was fifteen-year-old Robert Peast. Robert worked in Nissan Pharmacy and happened to be working the day that Gacy came in to talk to the store's owner about a job. When Gacy knew Robert was in earshot, he said that he hired teenage boys to work for him for $5 an hour, and that was twice what Robert was making at the store. Robert's mom came by after his shift to take him home, and he asked her to wait so he could talk to a contractor about a job. He went outside to meet John in his car at around 9 o'clock p.m., and he was not seen again. He was murdered in the next hour while his mom was waiting for him to come back to where she was parked. John had taken him to his home, got him in handcuffs, and then murdered him. Before he was totally dead, John thinks he might have taken a phone call from a work friend. Courtney, Gacy got bold here. This kid's mom was at the store waiting for him when he took off with him. Everyone there knew he had been talking to Gacy. He just didn't seem to give a fuck. Is this that narcissistic immunity, or is he just needing more risk to get the same reward? I imagine it was a combination of both. You know, we've certainly heard from other killers that the thrill begins to wane a little bit after a while. 
and it can lead to a change in behavior that increases the risk. Um, and maybe he, Gacy was just feeling a little desperate. There probably weren't that many boys out at the bus station in the dead of winter. Um, it said to be like it was almost like blizzarding that night. It was mm-hmm. snowing a lot. So maybe he just saw an opportunity that he couldn't resist. Yeah. Robert's parents filed a police report right away, and the investigation revealed that the last known person who saw Robert was John Wayne Gacy. Well, it only took a little digging to see the criminal record that he had. Gacy was asked to come down to the station, and he complied, but he didn't get down there until past three in the morning, and he was covered in mud. He claimed his car got stuck in a ditch. John denied any foul play involving Robert Peast. He was not convincing enough, however, because a police warrant was obtained and his house was searched. Per Wikipedia, the following suspicious items were found. Several police badges, a 6mm Brevetta starter pistol, a syringe and hypodermic needle, handcuffs, several books on homosexuality and perdistry with titles such as Pretty Boys Must Die, Pornographic films, capsules of amyl nitrate, an 18-inch, 46-centimeter dildo, a 39-inch 2x4 with two holes drilled into each end, bottles of Valium and atropine, several driver's licenses, a blue hooded parka, and underwear too small to fit Gacy's fat-ass fatness. They also found a class ring engraved with the initials J-A-S and a Nissan Pharmacy photo receipt in a trash can, alongside a 36-inch section of nylon rope. So that photo receipt would turn out to be a clue. So Robert had lent his jacket to another employee of the store that he went missing on that day. She put her photo receipt in the pocket by mistake when she was wearing his jacket. So when he went out to talk to Gacy, he got the jacket back from the girl to go outside, and now that receipt was found at John's house. Gacy was put under surveillance at this time, and he knew it. He would invite the cops in for coffee or buy them dinner. He maintained his innocence of Robert Peace's murder. But more and more people were talking to police. Items that were found in his home were similar to items that the missing persons were said to have had. His ex-wives disclosed things, and his, quote, friends spoke of some odd things they were now realizing. When his car was examined by police dogs, one of them lay down on the seat, indicating that a dead body had lain there at one time. During this time, Gacy was attempting to sue the police department for $750,000, I guess in an attempt to make it seem like he was innocent. It didn't stop the police from obtaining a second warrant for his home after his employees told them that Gacy had put him, uh, put a bunch of lye under his house. When they were in his house this time, they noticed a very foul smell that would come out of the toilet when it flushed. On December 20th, John Wayne Gacy confessed to Robert Peace's murder. Quote, This boy is dead. He's dead in the river. Or sorry, quote, this boy is dead. He's dead. He's in the river. He continued to tell police that he killed many people and many people he had buried in his crawl space. The police went out and started to dig. What they uncovered was beyond horrible. Courtney? I think when he realized that he was caught, Gacy's narcissism had to shift and take a different tact to keep him sort of like upright and his ego balanced because it very much could have been a time where he could have fully fallen apart but he didn't um he could no longer exist on being able to hide his crimes under his facade so now he had to prove to the police that he was the best most notorious serial killer out there um at least in his own mind so he essentially started just kind of bragging about it 
he like shifted tactics because I thought it was pretty quick how fast he confessed. Yep. Actually, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of times these people go to trial claiming they didn't do it and um, yeah, right. never confess. He did not. Yeah, it was pretty quick in hindsight. So there are parts of this excavation that you can view on YouTube or on Netflix's John Wayne Gacy tapes. The police just kept finding more and more bodies. As I said earlier, 26 in total were found in various stages of decomposition underneath and around the house. Remember, when I said he showed up at the police station covered in mud? Well, that was because he had a minor traffic accident Traffic accident while disposing of Robert Peace's body in the Des Moines River. He had lain next to it for a while before he did so. He did have a bit of necrophilia, necrophilia after all. Some of his victims have still not been identified. In the John Wayne Gacy tapes, he did speak of his victims as his property. When the police were exhuming the bodies, he spoke of them very possessively. It was bizarre. Did you do you remember that part, Courtney? I do. I do. Um, he was like pissed off. Yeah, it's like you're moving things that like they're those are mine. Mm-hmm. Um, which I think just shows how disconnected he was from what the reality of killing is. Like these boys were just objects to him. or But they were his. And I feel like, I don't remember if it was Gary Ridgway. I feel like there was another serial killer that when they started exhuming the bodies, even though he helped find them, he was still very possessive over them. And I want to say it was the Green River Killer. But it might have been. It was similar to this. Like if you listen to um, those recordings of him, he's he's like, very upset these are my this is my property how dare you disturb them how dare you take them away from me and it's it's such bizarre thinking it is to think of somebody who you murdered as your property now right and anyways so Gacy was brought to trial on February 6 1980 and he was charged with 33 murders the year prior to his trial he spent hundreds of hours undergoing psychological testing to see if he was competent to stand trial He did seem to try to pull a multiple personality type of situation. He claimed that there was another John, or rather he called him Jack, that did the bad things. Many things he had no recollection of doing because Jack did them. Courtney, do you want to go over that with us? What do you think about Gacy's alter ego and all of that? From what you've learned, what true diagnosis do you think he ultimately had? Well, I firmly believe that Gacy did not have a dissociative identity disorder. He was far too in control and aware of what he and what his, you know, alter egos were doing. Um, for example, Jack was described as like a rough police officer who was cleaning up the streets from all the, the bad gay guys out there. Um, and we know that even from a young age, Gacy liked to pretend he was a cop. You know, way back into the like volunteer neighborhood watch thing he did as a teen where he would put the flashing light on top of his car as he patrolled, you know. Um, And we also know that he often used being a cop as a ruse to get young men into his car and in handcuffs. It would be a, hey, I'm a cop, I could arrest you, like, or you could do me this favor kind Mm -hmm. of thing. Um, So I really think that Jack was more of, like, a character that he created and that he liked to role play because it helped him feel more powerful. Um, than he felt as himself. But 
it does, I think, really speak to his ability to lie and manipulate others that he was able to convince more than one doctor that he was insane. Fortunately, there were other doctors who were able to see right through his act. Um, So I still maintain uh, that malignant narcissism with antisocial traits best describes what was going on for him. All right. So just plain old antisocial and narcissism. Nothing special about this doucher. No, Mm -hmm. no. And I mean, definitely some of his narcissistic beliefs, like, blur the line until delusional. Yeah. Um, But not necessarily in, like, a psychotic way. Okay. You're not that interesting, John Wayne Gacy. Nope. Mm Mm-mm. He did not. He did plead not guilty by reason of insanity at the suggestion of his lawyers. Several of Gacy's survivors testified. So J- John Rignall, the one who was chloroformed all that time, he actually vomited when he was asked to give specific details. So they let him end his testimony early. Mm-hmm. Poor guy. Gacy's lawyers just kept trying to hammer home that he was insane, a schizophrenic with multiple personalities. Per the book we're using, Gacy apparently smiled a lot during the trial and may have chuckled here and there. And it sounds like he was, uh, you know, he did that not because he thought it was funny what was happening, but that he thought it would make him look like he was so astounded about what he was being accused of that it was making him laugh in shock. But I think it had the opposite effect on the jury. Yeah, like, it backfired. That he was like snide and laughing at, at all of these things. And, right. Yeah. So whatever the case, the jury deliberated only um, or for less than two hours before they found him guilty of all 33 murders. At that time, that was the most murders anyone had ever been convicted of. So Gacy had made it into the Guinness Book of World Records. No shit. He was sentenced to death, and it didn't take them that long to decide that either. Courtney? So in part two, we talked about how John was not always very good at reading how other people actually perceived him compared to how he thought that they perceived him. He definitely misjudged the people in the jury who did not believe his ridiculous stories. Um, and, you know, he lost his world record when Gary Ridgway was caught. Mm, is, that who took it? is that who changed it? I don't know if there was anyone before him, but definitely Gary Ridgway beat him. And he was convicted. I can't remember how many he was convicted of. I think of. he was convicted of like 78 okay. or something. Yeah, it so was a it's lot. It was a short-lived thing. Uh-huh. But at one point he was in there. Right. Or something. Uh-huh. But Well, he was supposed to be executed in June of 1980, but we know how that goes. He stayed on death row for over a decade. It wasn't a fun time for him. In fact, he was stabbed by another convicted serial killer in prison, Harry Brisbane, a.k.a. the I-57 killer. Have you ever heard of him? I have not, but I'll have to do some research now. Yeah, especially since he tried to kill John Wayne Gacy. Yeah. I don't know. Is it okay to be like, well, maybe that one would have been okay? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I can't. I'm not going to. No, I'm not going to throw that out there. Next question. On May 9th, 1994, Gacy had his last meal. Gacy ordered a bucket of KFC, a dozen fried shrimp, french fries, fresh strawberries, and a Diet Coke. Much like Ted Bundy's execution, John Wayne Gacy's execution attracted a lot of attention. I guess over a thousand people were outside the prison that day. He died in the very early hours of May 10th by lethal injection. And I didn't put this, but it was a botched lethal injection. Oh, I didn't realize that. Yeah. Um, they had to do it twice? Mm-hmm. Yeah, something got screwed up, so it took like 15 minutes instead of the 
three it was supposed to. Oh. So, yeah. Hmm. And some of those thousand people that were outside, most of them were like, you know, there to because Gacy was dying and they were for it, but there were there were the protesters too. Of the course. Ones that, yeah. yeah. So anyways, that's all I got. Yeah. Anything I, else? I'm glad to be done with him. He was a pretty despicable human being. Yeah, he was just the way that he manipulated all of those young boys, used his position of power to get them to do things they didn't want to do and then coerce them to do even more things and and then uh, the worst case scenario killing them mm-hmm. it's just beyond right and trying to use his powerful friends to get out of it mm-hmm. yeah i'm sure rosalind carter was like god damn it i have a picture with this guy well she probably doesn't even know didn't remember taking the picture i'm sure there was like true but like 100 people I, she took pictures with that day i am assuming bef- i don't i don't even know if she's I think I just read that Jimmy Carter just passed away. So she might still be. Al- Anyways, I don't know. Mm. She probably knows now. Well, <laughs> yeah, at some point now. that she took a picture with him and it was like, that's not good. But at uh, the time. Like, yeah. Yeah. So much I know about American politics. Not. <laughs> so, yeah. Anyways. Um, next case. That's yours, Courtney. Yeah. So I picked this next case. Um, and it is just really nothing like any of the cases we've done before. So I think I'm just going to leave it at that for now. Keep it kind of a mystery. Yeah, it's, I watched a, we watched a documentary or something. A couple mm-hmm. of them on it. Yep. I, I'd never heard of it. Crazy. It is. Yeah. All right. Well, what do we do when a fat clown offers us a ride in his old mobile? Go nuts, go home, and go to therapy. Yes. Everyone be safe, and we'll see you next Tuesday. Bye. Bye.